Holy God, today we come to worship you as those who cannot help but worship you. This is our heart's desire, Lord, that we would be so drawn to your presence and to the presence of the body that we would, we would feel empty without it, that our heart's desire would be to glorify your name, to sing and praise you with the fellowship of your family that you created, this body you made through Jesus. We thank you for the Holy Spirit, Lord, that combines all of our unique personalities and molds them into one family, making us one with you and one with each other through Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, help us to love each other intensely, to care deeply for one another, to be your grace, your love, your compassion, your mercy, your strength, and your discipline to one another so that we might urge each other on toward the kind of perfection that comes with your Holy Spirit in perfecting our love and our nature. Oh God, we seek you in all of our ways, in every hour of our day, every minute. We know that Sometimes, in some circumstances, we get tempted away from you. We even forget about you. And so, Lord, we pray that at those times, we might see one of the believers, one of the brothers and sisters in our family, uh, to, to just be reminded of that unique connection. And Lord, we're never more connected with each other as a family than when we pray for one another. And this is why, Lord, we've named some things that have been on our radar for a while, but not unknown to you and the depths of which are beyond our comprehension, but entirely known to you. And so we give you thanks for healing and restoration from severe accidents, from, from uh, health crises, from, from the ravages of aging, from, from the, the physical disabilities that come in so many ways and so many forms. We, we give you thanks and praise, Lord, that you comfort us that you help us, that you provide excellent practitioners and skilled and knowledgeable people who have been allowed to explore the depths of your knowledge of creation and to take that knowledge and apply it in a way that glorifies the creator. No matter what their relationship is with you, they bring you glory because they have unraveled just a small number of the mysteries and majesty of the Creator. And so, Lord, we ask that you continue to enable them for the sake of your people. We pray for those loved ones who are lost in one way or another, Lord. We pray for those who are distant from you, distant from us, distant from, from themselves. We pray that they might come into a knowledge of themselves and their relationship with you, their dependence upon you and family. We pray, Lord, for those with whom we work, who are, are sharing their burdens with us, but uh, are not yet open to receiving truth in love as it has been expressed by the Holy Spirit. We pray for those we reach but do not know yet through the various expressions of our family of faith online and through social media and through podcasts and all of that. We pray, Lord, for everyone, 
at this church to be more in love with you and more committed to each other and more dedicated to your service in this place. We pray, Lord, that you would inspire us to be your congregation, your people, making a difference in the vitality of our community because we bring Christ. Oh God, there's so many things I could say. I could go on and on as I plead with you and pray to you and talk to you on behalf of your people. We will come to your table, Lord, in a little while and we'll remember that this table is open all the time, that spiritually we are free to speak with you and be in your presence anytime. And so, Lord, we'll take comfort in that as we close for now, as together we say the words Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. They were having a discussion at the men's breakfast yesterday about the length of prayers, as I recall. <laughs> Some of you are giggling because you remember it. You know, it probably depends a little on the prayer. I, I don't want to, uh, to bring that up as though it's a defensive statement. I just thought about that afterwards, and I thought, yeah, I think it kind of depends on the prayer. I like talking to God. And I like talking to God with you here in this place. But some prayers do seem to be more about the prayer than the person to whom we are praying. So maybe there's the secret. <laughs> anyway, would you turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John? We're going to read from chapter 21. We've been around this chapter for a while lately. Chapter 21 of the Gospel of John starting at verse 20 this time. And this should be fairly familiar to you because we, we dealt with it before more in the context of Jesus' conversation with Peter where he restored Peter and encouraged him to feed my sheep. And so we pick up where that conversation left off <clears throat> at verse 20. So let's read together now. In your pew Bible, that's on page 1079. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. And so the saying spread abroad among the brothers that the disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it were my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did, and were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. 
The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So, three local clergy were meeting at the McDonald's down here at the Y. The priest said, you know, my prayer ministry is incredible. We've been praying for healing for people in this community, and we have reports of 70% success. The Lutheran pastor said, yeah, well, you know, we prayed that the farmers could finally get out in their fields after all this rain, and we've, we've heard that about 90% of them have gotten out in those fields. And, well, you know, these conversations among clergy always devolve like this. They always turn into one-upsmanship, and, of course, the Methodist preacher, I don't know who it was, it wasn't me. He said, well, my prayer group prays about a certain thing every time they meet and they have had 100% success. And then he mentioned that they pray the sun will rise and the sun will set. And so far they've had 100% success. So now, have you ever been in a conversation like that? Come on. At least when you were a kid, right? Where the, where the one-upsmanship starts. You know, where, where, you know, you say, when I was a kid, I was so poor, you know, how poor were you? And then it goes on, right? And so we have this tendency to compare our lot with others and then try to one-up them. It's kind of a natural extension of pride. It's a somewhat less harmful version of pride, but it's definitely a, a part of a slippery slope that you don't want to get onto. And so I'm asking now if you've ever been tempted like, like that, but maybe in worse ways. Have you ever been tempted to uh, compare yourself to workmates who seem to be more successful? or neighbors who seem to have some sign of their success that you don't have yet, like a new car or a pool or maybe some landscape features or something. And, and you know, maybe now this one really applies to me. I, this, I am not a test taker. I've always done poorly on tests. I can write you volumes about what I know, but tests I don't do well. So have you ever been like me and you've been in a room where people are taking a test and and the really smart, good test taker jumps up 15 minutes into an hour-long test and turns in their paper, and from that moment forward, you get anxious, and you start feeling stupid because everybody's turning in their test, and you're just hoping to finish? That would be me. Now, the reason I mention these is because they contrast in a way, but they're the same in another way. If you think about it, there are ways in which we compare ourselves with others because of envy, and then there are ways in which we compare ourselves with others because we feel less than them. That somehow we feel as though we've got a problem of inadequacy. So this business of comparing yourself to others is just dangerous either way you go. If it's about pride and envy, then it's going to lead you into a, a sort of arms race like the one that existed back in the 80s between the Soviet Union and the United States, and the one with the most money won. But they both lost, really. It's the same way in your neighborhood. It's the same way in your workplace. It's, it's an arms race that nobody really wins. It's just the one with the most money outlasts the other. That's kind of what happens with pride and envy. 
And then there is this other thing, something I'm more familiar with. People don't know this, but there was a time in my life where I really didn't think of myself as much of a success at all. I actually thought I was kind of a loser, to be honest with you, and I had a pretty low opinion of myself. And I even looked at my resume and saw it as a list of failures. And yet, since I've been in ministry, everything on my resume has served me really well. So what I thought was failure in those days, God was storing up for the benefit of the calling that God put upon my life. And so in a way, God has redeemed what I thought was a period of miserable failure and, and uh, turned it into something that I, I don't take pride in it really, but I'm, I'm able to sleep well at night knowing that I do my best and my best is enough and that God takes care of the rest. So I know this other kind of comparing where you, where you compare yourself to others. I admit that I don't care for uh, big clergy functions like our annual conference of the United Methodist Church. I, I don't like being around all those other clergy. And, and the reason is, is because I give in to the temptation sometimes to compare myself with them. To think, well, I, I don't preach as well as that guy does, or I don't sing as well as that guy does, or I haven't grown my church that way that guy did. And, and so it can be very troubling to be around your contemporaries because you start comparing yourself to them. Is any of this something you can relate to? Can, can you relate to this? Well, think about Peter and John. I've been really impressed and sort of amazed at this story of Peter and John because the Bible is unique in all the religious documents in the world's history because it presents all the foolishness, the recklessness, and the, the, the many ways in which our leaders and our superstars of the Bible are flawed. I mean, th this does not compare to most of the major religious documents of, of world history because our book is a story of losers who become successful in the eyes of God. It's a, it's a constant reminder that it isn't about the strengths and the abilities of the individual as much as it is about what God does through a willing, open-minded servant, someone who's moldable, someone who can be shaped. And here's a perfect example. So right around the time that this whole conversation happened where Jesus is talking to Peter about feeding his sheep, you remember that from a few weeks ago, John apparently is right there. The Apostle John is walking behind them apparently. So what this passage we read today it presents to me is a picture. I can, and, and again, having been to the place, I sort of see the, the, the landscape in my mind's eye. And, and I can just see them walking down this beautiful trail along a creek just below Mount Arable. And Jesus says, hey, come stroll with me for a minute, Peter. I want to talk to you about something. And, and so it's just Peter and Jesus and apparently John walking along behind with his notebook. Right? That, that's the way this sounds to me. And I'm sure that that was probably an irritant to Peter because, you know, that John, he's always writing in his notebook. And then after he finally has this deeply significant conversation with Jesus about going from being a loser to being successful when you focus all of your energy on Christ, because that's, that's what that conversation was about. Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. 
And if you love me, it's enough that you love me. Just feed my sheep. Just, just do what matters most to me. And whoever you are, whatever condition you're in, whatever failures you have in your history, it doesn't matter. Just feed my sheep. It'll be okay as long as you focus your energy on me. So they're having this deeply significant conversation. And there's John strolling along behind them with his notepad. And Peter finally says, okay, Jesus, I'm with you. But what about him? I mean, can't you see that? You know, what about him? It, it, because, because Peter apparently has not forgotten that John's back there. He's, he's back there. And, and Jesus says, Peter, what difference does it make to you? I told you what I want you to do, and I told you to focus on me. Follow me. Obey me. This is what I want for Peter. And what I want for John is not Peter's problem. That's what Jesus told him. And he even said, if I want him to live forever, that's up to me. And that really isn't anything you should be concerned about. And, you know, this happens in church, by the way. The leader says something that seems sort of cryptic and strange. And then a rumor starts. Oh, now they all believe he's going to live forever because Jesus said so. And John says, he didn't say that. I have a feeling John put that in as a little editorial comment near his end of his life. You know, he's in his old age and he's going, I better update that one. I'm not thinking that this is going to turn out like I thought. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I don't want you to think I take liberties with Scripture that would, would somehow discredit the Lord. But, but at the same time, I like to read it imaginatively. And so I see these human beings, these flawed human beings... And what I see is that there seems to have been a rather consistent competition between Peter and John. You ask me how I know. Well, think about that day when Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And, and we read the passage that said that the two disciples, Peter and the one Jesus loved, ran to the grave and the one Jesus loved outran Peter. That sounds like a rather opinionated way of expressing things. Peter and John seem to have been kind of like our kids. You know, I recommend a book called The Birth Order Book to you. Some of you have heard me say this outside of the worship, but this is really a fascinating book that tells you a lot about the dynamics of your family but when I see Peter and John, I see Peter, who could have been the captain of the football team, and I see John, who could have been the captain of the debate team, right? That's kind of how these two come across to me. I see Peter being large in stature and also large in personality, and whenever he's in the room, he's like got a gravitational pull, and it doesn't matter who else is in the room, you always know where Peter is. And somehow Peter's opinion seems to dominate and Peter's will seems to have more pull than say John's. John on the other hand is this intellectual who is a thinker and a lot of intellectuals you know they're kind of introverted anyway. They don't, they're not the kind of people that are gregarious and all over the room meeting new friends and and uh, laughing loudly and all that. They're, they're more like wallflowers these, these introverts. They're they're really not antisocial. They're just people who don't like to expend unnecessary energy 
for things that don't yield something of great value to them intellectually. So they have a tendency to avoid conversation that seems trivial. They have a tendency to exceed normal talking speed when they finally are on a topic that matters to them. You know, when you start talking about something they care about, then, then the introvert, the intellectual starts going, blah, 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 blah. You know, ask me how I know. I live with one, he's in my mirror every morning. But they're surprisingly quiet at other times. They're very, they're very, they're very introspective, and so they can spend hours without saying a word, and they can be very reflective about things. And this doesn't surprise me that John would be this way, because he is after the one who gave us the gospel that puts a heavy emphasis on the divinity of Jesus. This series is still about knowing Jesus, and I want you to understand that these two men knew him in two radically different ways, and what we learn from Jesus is, is that he can deal with that. And so John is this intellectual who's really, he's, he's dove deeply into the nature of Jesus as the divine human, and he's really given us some of the most profound and significant understanding of Jesus' nature, but it seems that he's also a little intimidated by big old Peter. Now, if you happen to have the football captain and the, and the intellectual debate club captain in your household, then you know what I'm talking about. They have a way of sort of canceling each other out. They don't mean to, but they just do. And they've developed methods of, of responding to each other's strengths and sort of compensating. And so when I see John making his little notebook comments about how Peter was ashamed, Peter was embarrassed, Peter, you know, he's probably thinking as he's sitting there watching Peter do all these things that he does, you know, if he would just shut up and think once before he actually did something or said something, he wouldn't look so foolish. That's what John's thinking, writes it in his book. Well, that doesn't sound very religious. I'm writing about the divinity of Jesus. Um, the smart one ran faster than the big one. No, that doesn't work. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so, you know, John's a work in progress. I'm one of those who believes that John is John throughout the Bible. In other words, he's the same John who wrote the letters of John, the same John of the Revelation. And so I get to see in these two men through the entire New Testament, the progress of their development. And what I've noticed is that both become better versions of themselves when they focus their energies on being the person Jesus expects them to be and when they're not comparing themselves to each other. It's kind of amazing, really. You see, they're not, they're not so far apart, really. They just focus their energies in different ways. And the two have affected the, the, the life of the church and the, the community of, of Christian believers throughout its entire history, even the history that hasn't been fulfilled yet. I'm just wondering if today you can relate to Peter or to John or maybe one of the other apostles. In fact, when you leave here today, I want you to stroll down the hall and look at all the portraits we have hanging on the walls down there of the different apostles. They're really beautiful works of art, and they seem to have brought to life the person of each of the apostles. And just look at them and imagine which one you are particularly able to identify with. 
I think that the Lord Jesus built the body of Christ beautifully on a framework of unique people. And among them is someone you can relate to. You like those TV shows where there's an ensemble cast and some person in that cast you particularly identify with? That's because it works. <laughs> that's because they know that that will keep you watching. And uh, that's why TV has evolved from a singular individual to ensemble casts because they've realized that you can only enjoy it if you can connect with somebody in the program. And it's the same way with the Bible. And it's funny because, you know, God thought of it first. You know, the advertising people, the, the, the medical people, they all think they invented this. They all think they came up with it. And, you know, that's all right. But what they really did was they discovered something God already knew and he put out there for you to discover. That, that's what really happened. And what God wants you to know is, is, is that there are lots of people in your Bible that you can relate to. And if they gave glory to God, if their story, no matter how yucky, let's talk about David someday and you'll see what I mean. This guy was, he was rough. And yet he's the man after God's own heart then I hope that if I haven't conveyed anything else to you, I've gotten the point across that this is not just truth from the Bible that I'm trying to share with you. This is my own story. I have come to learn that it doesn't matter what is better about someone else. It only matters how focused you are on Jesus and what Jesus asks you to do. That's the only thing that matters. If you'll resist the urge to compare your Christianity to someone else's, if you'll resist the urge to compare your spiritual gifts and your particular talent set against that, compared to others, you will be fine. But as soon as you start thinking that you're not successful unless you do what they did, you're in trouble. A couple of weeks ago, I was in Kansas City for a conference that Ron Flowers and I were supposed to attend. Ron couldn't because of his uh, father-in-law's passing. And it was in one of these big mega churches and there was this big, larger than life pastor there, Southern Baptist. And this boy, you know, when he was in the room, everybody knew where he was. When he talked, everybody heard him. And when he got up there to talk to the congregation, he prayed like those folks do, you know, in those less frozen chosen denominations. And the longer I sat there, the more intimidated I got. Just a true story. I kept thinking, wow, look at the way people respond to him. Maybe I'm not outgoing enough. Maybe I'm not loud enough. Maybe I need to pace back and forth and wipe the sweat off of my bald head once in a while. Maybe that'll get people to pay more attention. And, you know, look at the size of this church. This guy must be good because he grew this church to this size. And I mean, I was really struggling. And on my way back to the hotel after the second or third night, I was driving along and I said, Lord, I can't be that guy. I don't know how to be that guy. In fact, there's nobody here that I can really be like. I've, I've looked at all the different people that I've heard speaking and I've looked at some of the people I've met along the way and, and you know, I just cannot be them. 
And you want to know what the Lord said? Nothing. He didn't say a darn thing. I mean, I've heard, not, I don't hear like physical voice of God, but I know when God's talking to me. I've gotten to a place in my life where I can always tell what God is trying to get across to me. And, and God's answer was total silence. And I have a feeling that the, the silence was just God's way of saying, we're not having this conversation, Dan. Only you think you're supposed to be like that, or only, you know, we're not having this conversation. And you know, I, I went back to the hotel and went to bed, and the next morning I decided that I wasn't gonna say any more about it to God or me. I just let it go, you know? So this is, this is my word for you today. Don't compare yourself to anybody else. Don't compare yourself to your neighbor, your coworker. Don't, don't, be, don't give in to the competition to see who can get to Jesus' grave first, for goodness sake. We both have a friend who died and rose again. We both have a brother in Christ who saved us from all of our sin and welcomed us into his household. We, we all have someone who wants us to be the best version of ourselves we can be and not like somebody else. Try to imagine how liberating it would be if you could finish this summer vacation time having compared yourself half as many times to others. What would that be like? Let's pray. Holy God, I thank you for your word. I pray that you would burn it upon our hearts. Bless us and change us, Lord. Help us to see that we only have to be what you've called us to be. And help us, Lord, to do that with absolute and utter devotion. Amen.